New Inklings for life. <laughs> hey, what's up? We're New Inklings. <laughs> Let's open up this pit. <laughs> this theology pit. <laughs> Hello and welcome to uh, the final-ish, I think, episode of Chronically Narnia. This is our wrap-up. Is this the last ever episode? We don't have to do another one of these Uh, ever again? I don't have to read anything uh, else by C.S. Lewis? I was going to qualify that and say last episode of Chronically Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. See, that's what I thought. I'm so disappointed. Yes. Um, so this might be our last-ish episode. We might have one more kind of wrap-up and discussion episode that we're going to do. We don't know yet. However, this is our official wrap-up episode of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We are going to talk about the entire book and go through it, talk about themes and stuff, and I guess try to figure out what we think of it as a whole and how it fits into the whole series. And for that, we're, we're bringing a guest on for this super special episode as we as we do every six months or so i guess at this point <laughs> uh it's our biannual guest episode that's uh super special uh before we introduce our guest do you want to say anything in particular um hello <laughs> i'm i usually don't intro you're the one who intros Valid. so so why don't you introduce yourself first all right hello I am a sewing machine owned by Mrs. Beaver, also known as Kristen. And who are you? You see, I am the dusty and half-torn picture of Tumnus' father, upon whom Tumnus looks after a half-lifetime of fear and regret, realizing he's more than his father ever was. Also known as Chris. (laughs) Well... Hello, Tumnus's father. I'm a sewing machine, so I'm not going to contribute much. You'll be a loud whirring noise in the background. Yes. And we are also joined today by our guest, who is... Hi, I'm the spouse of a gender non-conforming fawn, a.k.a. Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Nathan. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is is an event I've dreamed about and planned for... (laughs) for millennia it's like it's like i experienced a whole lifetime of wanting this moment to happen and then i stepped through and no time had passed at all how old are you (laughs) as someone who has spent millennia awaiting this moment well you know the passage of time you know i in real life i'm only a few months past when i started this but it feels like a millennia has passed listening to the show (laughs) (laughs) well thank you i think that's a compliment Uh, no it's definitely a compliment (laughs) absolutely baller highest praise ever so uh i think we want to what even is time what is time uh kant would say it doesn't exist I caught even with that guy. (laughs) Uh, So let's start by uh, asking you the question we ask all of our guests, and by all of our guests, I mean the one previous one that we've had on this show. 
what is your background and experience with Narnia? What's how did you come into this world? What does Narnia mean to you? Um, wow, I don't know if I can answer that second question, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I grew up going to a evangelical church that had a library, and in that library were, you know, a few books. <laughs> And the number of books that were uh, fiction and aimed at children uh, was exactly seven. You can guess which seven <laughs> can I, those were. Can I, can I guess? I'd like to guess. All right, go ahead. Um, was one of them called? Harry Potter. <laughs> yes. The Lion, in the, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In 1985, there was definitely copies of Harry Potter. <laughs> You, you guys had an inside track with Rowling, man. You got those early first editions. Uh, right, go on. Um, so, yeah, I uh, consumed the first book and loved it and thought it was amazing. The first book being The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, that's what I've been saying for, like, five months. That's what the numbers were on the spine of the of the books. This whole other order thing did not exist. It was but a twinkling... In Harper Collins's eye. Well, anyway, as I said, just like there was no Harry Potter, there was at that time only one order of the Chronicles of Narnia. But we're in different times now. So yeah, uh, read that first book, loved it, uh, and as I as each book progressed in the series, I found it increasingly more difficult to get through, and uh, I decided that. The problem was me, and uh, having listened to the past two seasons of this podcast, I'm starting to question that feeling. <laughs> okay. All right. Valid, I would say. I, You know what? I would like to validate your feelings. <laughs> As someone who grew up, like, idolizing these books due to, you know, paternal influence, mm. I, I would say... Reading through these books again with an actual like critical literary eye, I don't want to read the next one. Like I would like to change the focus of the podcast. We're committed to two more years of this, Kristen. Don't back out. I didn't commit. <laughs> we'll feel like failures if we back out. Will we? Because uh -huh. I don't know what we will feel like, uh -huh. but I might feel relief. I do. Awesome. I do know that uh, there's a certain scene um, in uh, a later book, and I don't want to spoil anything, but it involves somebody becoming endragoned, mm. and uh, the the resolution of that is an imagery that has stuck with me my whole life, um, and yeah. I've really found to be like compelling. Um, so that's like another highlight. And then um, when the movie came out for this book, I was excited and watched that, showed it to my kids, and my kids were like, yeah, hard pass. Uh, tried to read the books with them. They were like, uh, you know, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They were like, uh, this isn't a very good book. We have, like, much better children's literature these days. And I was like, <laughs> I see what you're saying. Uh -huh. I support and affirm yeah. the, that feeling. So, I guess overall... Do you uh, have to take my pen? Sorry. Go ahead. 
I was just touching I, it. This is my own pen. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, then specifically about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I have done my reviews of this book in every chapter, and I've increasingly come to the conclusion, I guess, that it's uh, it's underwhelming. Uh, having read it again for the first time in 20 years, I guess, since the last time I did, uh, that compared to a lot of children's literature these days, it's uh, it leaves a lot to be desired. And I've tried to make that, I've hammered that point home maybe too much in all of my reviews of the chapters. Uh, would you kind of agree there having, I don't know if you've reread the book in its entirety or just kind of listened to us yammer on about it, but would you agree with that i when we got into this i was like great i'm just gonna dig out my copy and read along on this one because i did not do that for the first season and it turns out i got rid of that (laughs) uh so i did not read (laughs) uh so yeah you're you were not intending to read through again is what you're no, I was intending to and, and failed because okay. I don't own the book anymore. <laughs> um, yes. But I've enjoyed listening through with you guys. And, um, you know, with having read through it somewhat recently in the grand scheme of things, I felt like uh, I was following. The only real chapter where I was like, oh, crap, was the last one. Um, because when you brought up the white fawn or the white uh, stag, I was like, the what now? <laughs> yeah, basically, when that every time that I every time I've read the books, like and I and I distinctly remember like when I get to that chapter and it is titled The Hunting of the White Stag and like in story time we've just gotten to Aslan jumping at the witch and I'm like the why? What? <laughs> like every time I've read these books knowing the story like, I have definitely done a double take on that chapter title. Right. Um, I'm actually, I've actually always appreciated the amount of, like, battle <laughs> in this book. Because I've realized over the years that I'm not really a fan of, like, battles in any way. I like a good, like, fight scene, like, between a couple characters or whatever. But yeah. um, when it comes, I, 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 um, about the time, or just before the movie Coco came out, uh, the ants to the <laughs> to Coco was a movie called The Book of Life. So there was another animated Dia de los Muertos movie that came out just before Coco. Really? Yeah. Huh. Was not aware. Not seen either of them. I know okay. that I'm one of those terrible people, but I've never seen Coco. Okay. It's great. So... Uh, Joey and I went to a screener for the Book of Life. Um, and so we were in the like, um, you know, you go to a, have you guys been to screeners before where they like? We have not. Okay. So what happens is uh, they fill a movie theater and everybody gets a card where they can rate and review the movie. And then they, col- and then, um, and you're seeing kind of like an unfinished movie. Okay. And then, uh, the basically the makers of the movie are sitting in the back kind of watching you and taking in your reaction. And then based on that group, they take about mm, 
10% of that and have you stay after. And then they make like a focus group and they say like, what'd you like about the movie? What did you hate about the movie? What would you change? And stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, so at the end of that movie, I was like, man, that battle sequence just went on forever. It's just awful and interminable. And then the guy, the guy leading the focus group was like, cool. Anybody else feel that way? <laughs> uh, so- Everybody's like, huh? 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 Everybody's like, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> so, so not a huge fan of battles. Like, does that it? So you don't like the two towers? Yeah, I was gonna say like Helm's Deep, like <laughs> that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like, uh, well, yeah, I like the I like the Legolas stuff in that because then you get like a focus. Yeah. Of yeah. So, so I guess my next question will be how, and this is something that's more of like a Kristen and Nathan conversation because I <laughs> I famously have not read anything else in the series at this point besides Magician's Nephew and Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But how do you... Famously. But how do you feel like this book stacks up against everything else in the series? Like, is this the best one and we have nothing else to look forward to? It's all downhill from here. Or do we have something else that we're working up toward in the future? Um, for me, that there's that one later thing that I mentioned earlier that's amazing. Um, that's it. Okay. <laughs> so I just you, want you but, to finish the but would finish you, whatever. <laughs> would you say that the rest of it falls below what you what you have experienced in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or that it's on par with the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Uh, below for me. Okay. I mean, I feel like the first well, the first publishing order three books. It's like an A, a C, a C, and then rubbish pass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, so before we get into like specific themes and anything, hey, we, we... Do I get to answer your question? <laughs> well, okay, yeah. This Thanks. is a specific conversation for you and me. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. Why don't Sorry. you calm down over there? I was trying to let our guest talk. I forgot I asked you. <laughs> You're like, this is a conversation for the two of you. I'm going to sit over here and let him tell something. But not you. I need somebody to mansplain things to my wife for me. <laughs> I've, I've, I've tried and it doesn't work. <laughs> anyway. Um, in my experience, like, I grew up with a parent who was very into this series. Like, mm-hmm. very. His favorite book was... Um, the the one you're referencing, which is, of course, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Struggling. <laughs> we all knew it. There. That one. I kept I kept being like Prince can nope. <laughs> Prince can nope. <laughs> Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Um, yeah. And so that was. But wait, isn't that scene in Prince Caspian though? No, it's, now that it's Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Okay. Because oh well. So Voyage of the Dawn Treader was my father's favorite book. And I know a lot of people who I've told that to and they're just like, why? Because the Voyage of the Dawn Treader is, as I would describe it, like a quest line book and not like an overarching story, but like a, let's get to the next point in the story. Um, A treasure chest party quest, if you will. Yes, if you will. (laughs) 
Anyway. I will. Go. You just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to explain that reference. No, it's okay. Anyway, um, so... But other than that, I like, my favorite book was... I, I loved The Horse and His Boy. And honestly, I can't tell you right now why. I just, hmm. I loved it when I read it. And I I don't know. I've only read it once, but I know that I loved it when I read it. But other than that, not Prince Caspian, but The Silver Chair. I hmm. loved The Silver Chair. And I think I loved it because I it was one of the first bbc films that i ever saw like i think i saw lion the witch in the wardrobe and then the silver chair and i think that that was the first two intros to narnia that i ever experienced i couldn't handle those i was also so that, like nine that still <laughs> That same library also had a VHS collection, which is where I watched a bunch of uh, Salty movies. Salty, the singing songbook. Oh, Salty! And uh, Davy and Goliath. There was those. Um, and uh, they, and they didn't have any McGee and Me? They did. Okay, yes. okay, okay. Yes. McGee and Me, I immediately, cl- I heard that like intro music as the like Rube Goldberg machine is going. <laughs> As soon as you said that, I'm right there. Um, Chris Chris didn't grow up in in an evangelical Christian church with a library. Right. Or one at all. (laughs) You mean library? (laughs) Uh, So anyway. uh, Hey, y'all, it's Florida. These books are just going to get wet. Uh, That's my authentic Florida accent. Uh, not terribly far off, depending on the region you're you're emulating. Uh, so anyway, before we actually get into topics and themes here, you know, because we haven't been discussing the book at all, we should actually do that thing where, since our guest has prepared a five sentence summary of the book, uh, we should get in because I have one overachiever. Uh, we should get into that because I have mine as well. So let's go ahead and summarize this book here. I, Kristen does does not have one. Correct? I have prepared something. <laughs> she has uh, a prepared statement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I would say let's go ahead and summarize this before we like dive deep into like various things and stuff. Uh, so various things and stuff. This yes. is what I have to work with. You know what? <laughs> Hello. This is why it is I, Admiral of Things and this Stuff. This is this is why people tune in. Uh, so Nathan, if you would like to start us off and read your five sentence summary of Can the- I go second? Oh yes, you can go second. Would you like me to go first since I have one? Go ahead. All right. So Okay. Uh, we'll end with uh, her prepared statement. Not that I'm running this show. Right here. <laughs> right here, uh, we're just going to do an echo of what we normally do in our episodes, where we go through each chapter and five fine, se- fine five sentences that we think are uh, kind of exemplary of, of what's going on there and, and tell the story in a easily digestible format. And this time we decided to do it for the entire book. At so no point have we ever said anything about the digestibility <laughs> of our sentences. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just going to go for it. Uh, so here are, is my summary of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
Once there were four children, whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. And now there was no mistaking it, and all four children stood blinking in the daylight of a winter day. A slow, cruel smile spread over the witch's face. Fall back, all of you, and I shall talk to the witch alone, said Aslan. Then, with a roar that shook all Narnia from the western lamppost to the shores of the eastern sea, the great beast flung himself upon the white witch. <laughs> Snaps. So Snaps. That, that is me doing my best to re-summarize the whole book. Uh, Nathan, if you want to go for it, jump in here. Sure. Um, so what I had been doing the whole time is I picked out a sentence of each chapter that I felt like really captured what you guys missed in that chapter. <laughs> oh, yeah! Yes! All right. I approve of this message. This will be great. <laughs> and then, uh, so then I went through them and I was reading them to Lisa and it was interminable to read 17 sentences and a lot of them were kind of dumb. So I've, uh, I've cut these down to the five that I really think really helped the most. Okay? Go for it. The children tried not to think of the things they may never see again, their home, neighborhood, parents, and instead sought to recreate these structures within the mansion. Lucy felt so warm and fulfilled that she finally began to really study her host. Mr. Tumnus, what is genderqueer? <laughs> Mr. Beaver, like all who are of great faith, knew a lot more about the moment after the moment had passed him by. <laughs> <laughs> then, just before she gave the blow, she stooped down and said in a quivering voice, Odd that you're being sacrificed privately before women and resurrected publicly. Seems like it should have been the opposite. Failing to fully imagine adulthood within the confines of her play world, Lucy retreated to the reality which she knew contained harsh cruelty and injustice, but could also provide the real relationships in which she may be able to explore her trauma. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> she picked up the top, spun it, and walked away. <laughs> So, Nathan has become the bug main of our podcast. <laughs> uh, okay. I love them. I really loved you guys after I read the first sentence. I just saw you guys on the video here just looking at each other being like, I don't remember that. Do you remember that? I don't remember that either. I, I didn't know where it was going from there. Um, okay. So, do you want to... So, so obviously, we have to uh, clarify for our listeners, uh, none of these are actual sentences from the book. But Nathan, uh, <laughs> would you like to kind of give us a little background on, on what your thought is uh, with this summary that you've created out of your own mind? <laughs> I don't know if there's anything more to say than that. <laughs> 
He put in so much more effort than we did in this. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so that being said, I think we know a little bit of Nathan's thoughts on the book. Uh, given... No, no, I think we know more of his thoughts on the podcast as yeah, opposed to the book. Probably. But do I get to have a turn? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Oh, yeah, you have a statement. I have a statement. I was going to call the commissioner real quick. <laughs> yeah, she's she stepped away and she came back in a full suit. It's crazy. <laughs> All right, so what I did was I received a text message. And this text message said, (laughs) Okay, I got my five-sentence whole book summary from our guest, Nathan. And I did not respond with the actual response I had, but my response was just like, well, I was hoping not to have to put in that much effort. <laughs> so what I did was text five or six people and ask them for five-sentence summaries of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Okay. Now, I'm not going to read all of them, but I'm going to read the two shortest ones just because I feel like this is important. Okay. Okay. And I gave yeah. these people a hard limit at five sentences. So here's one from Wayne. Some kids discover a portal that leads to an alternate world where they find out they're actually royalty. Oh, and instead of the god versus devil story, it's a lion versus a witch. The lion is killed by the evil witch and her minions, but Jesus lion comes back to life. Love wins. (laughs) <laughs> and the second shortest was wait was that a sentence love wins i yeah. i guess i mean there was a dot okay. dot dot and then it said love wins but love wasn't okay. capitalized so i mean love wins so. is a proper sentence yes it is it is a full yeah but sentence. with the ellipsis but the ellipsis it, before no capitalization <laughs> come on i used Wayne. a semicolon before the top line just so i could squeeze that in so <laughs> um and then we have from Eliza in Korea, South Korea specifically, <laughs> Daegu, this is if not, you really want to know. This is not our spy from behind the front lines in North Korea, just in case you're wondering. I mean. And this comes from Kim. <laughs> four siblings grow up to become four rulers of a magical land inside a wardrobe where there is a good lion and an evil witch. Both the lion and the witch die. The lion doesn't stay dead. So everyone is happy. The end. No no self-patting on the back with the next text I received, which said, I think that last one is gold. Nope. None at all. So that is my sentence summary. I really like what you did there. You also put in more effort than I did, so I can't fault you for that. Uh, it's almost like I we think had people... total effort for the book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you, you know what? I came up with the rating segment, so let's not get too hasty I'm in our judgments here. So glad that you have done that. Now that we've established that, uh, Kristen has a series of flashcards. I don't have a series. I have <sighs> notes 
in order to reference if the podcast does not continue in a fruitful are, discussion. Are they spread out just randomly so that they're not no. in a series? Okay, no. so they are in a series. Chris has continuously picked them up and moved them across the desk, but <laughs> I have retained control of the flashcards. Yeah. Um, so are there... While we let's get into the meat here, are there any specific topics that you, Kristen, would like to discuss as pertains to the book as a whole? You know what? I've had seventeen episodes to do that. Clap, clap, clap. So have I. So, Nathan, <laughs> do you have yes any, <laughs> any specific points that you feel as as is referenced by your summary? Things that you feel at that we've missed. <laughs> Um, I think the one that really stood out to me was, um, you know, Tumnus is the heart of the story. <laughs> yeah. Because Tumnus was, um, the beginning of it. Like the, um, Lewis had a painting of a fawn in a forest since childhood. And he wanted to write a backstory for that fawn in that forest. And so that's like where this all comes from. So I think that you have to view the book almost as with Tumnus as an entry point. And I think that uh, Chris had a good idea uh, in that the in that uh, Tumnus did find the white stag first. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's like a solid theory. Thank you. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, but I think that uh, I, th- I especially like contrasting because um, uh, one thing that immediately stood out was how little of a sexual icon Tumnus was for you guys <laughs> compared to me. <laughs> okay. Um, because, do, because I mean, you should have gotten into this in your what did Narnia mean to you section at the beginning. <laughs> well, you know. Because, like, Tumnus, I, I, even as a child, I was like, there is something about this character. This is something, there's something happening here. And I don't know what it is. But it ain't exactly clear. <laughs> there's a fawn with a flute over there. <laughs> Telling me, I got to spend a nice warm evening in his cabin and by the lake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But so you've got this like single bachelor guy. He's inviting children into his room so that he can betray them. He's a naughty, naughty fawn. <laughs> and then they're and they're like, oh, we got to get out of here away from this person. And we need to uh, escape to a model of domesticity, the beaver's house. Ooh, Okay. You're, you're actually getting somewhere now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I think there's, like, something there that, that Lewis is maybe in subconsciously <laughs> saying uh, about, like, gender norms and about, like, what he considers to be uh, good yeah. in terms of, like, a home life. Uh, yeah, I would say... I, I mean, within that, I'm going to interrupt you, Chris, but go I'm going to say within that, we don't just have this idea of the flute playing Mr. Tumnus. We also have Edmund's encounter with the witch, 
as the Turkish delight providing maternal <laughs> figure sending him off with a quest. And so we have see, both I of see those. her as I see her as uh, more seductive and an enchantress as well. Yeah, and I'm like she's I don't see her as maternal. I see her as like, you know, in the three types of women. <laughs> <laughs> From a literary perspective, yes. But I and I I mean like we have the kids that engage in that domestic model. The three that stay, and Edmund, who would rather run off to the Enchantress. Yes. Yeah, so can I jump in here? Yeah, go ahead. Um, So, uh, apologies to anybody from the Lewis estate who's listening. Uh, I'm going to, you know, get into, you know, some complete BS Lewis psychology here. Uh, but I've read a lot of Lewis. Uh, he is probably my favorite theologian. I've mentioned that in the podcast before. I love his theology. I love a lot of the stuff he writes about God. Uh, dude still had a lot of really weird ideas. And Lewis has always been really strange about... Uh, were they were they weird ideas or were they of his time ideas? Uh, I would say even for his time weird ideas because Lewis okay. has always been really strange about sexuality in general. Mm. Um and so Lewis married once. Uh, he was married for a grand total of four years. Didn't get married until he was in his mid-40s. Uh, we don't really have him speaking about any relationships prior to that. Uh, he never had any children. He's got two stepsons, but didn't have any natural children of his own. And, and a lot of his... You're looking at me like you're. You've super... done so much more research than I thought you had. Yeah, uh, no, I, I actually have talking points on this very subject. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've I've read a lot of Lewis, uh, and yeah, in a lot of his uh, serious books and talks on theology, he does get into some kind of weird opinions on the idea of sex, uh, and you know, it's very much kind of standoffish about it and doesn't really want to discuss it as part of, like, God's creation. And it's very much a thing that's like, oh, hey, here's a purpose for this. I'm going to put over it, put it over here and not talk about it. And it's not something he ever had a really, like, good theology of or a close relationship with. And I have always read that as he, he has always felt very awkward about the subject and very awkward about the subject of, like, domestic life in general and kind of comes through in his in his storylines where he has this very idealized look on uh, what a family looks like and what domestic life is and God's plan for this. Well, I mean, as long as your woman has a nice sewing machine. Yeah, and not necessarily a realistic look on it. Uh, But anyway, go on. Nathan has something prepared for this topic. Well, (laughs) jumping off of what you said, so he actually um, had a relationship with a woman who was much older than him. Yes. But there's a lot of, it, but like earlier in his life, like post-college type times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people were like, oh, were they like a thing? And then his friends were, and of course nobody asked him or like looked into it at the time. <laughs> but his <laughs> friends were like, were basically like, oh, uh, I'm pretty sure there was nothing going on there. He called her mother. <laughs> 
but this is like okay. a close pal that everybody thought he might be sleeping with, but probably not, but maybe. And so that kind of like plays into this whole, like he doesn't know how to have a relationship with a woman besides the mother figure. And then you've got, um, although the story of his wife's death is like tragic and it, what he came out of that to contribute to the world was like so impactful, but like, that was almost a rescue type situation where she was like fleeing a, a abusive relationship and which is why he had those stepsons and stuff like that. So I think there's like something there. And I also, um, getting back to the book in that like chapter seven moment with the three kids behind and then uh, they speak Aslan's name and you see the feelings that are described. And as I was hearing you guys read those feelings off, I was like, man, each one of these is like more and more gender normative than the last one. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> like each one is just leaning into more of those like, like, oh, I've got to get away from this, like, uh, you know, me being whoever I want to be and get into that box of, of domestic life. Um. Within this, I read this for the first time when I was 11, 12, that kind of age range. And one of those preteens that we. Yeah. Uh -huh. One of those preteens. Uh huh. I was one of those pre adolescent girls that this book was specifically directed at, Gross. you know, like Lucy. Um, yeah. You're like, where's my horse? <laughs> I wanted to meet a fawn and get toast. You still want to. This is why I fell in love with bread. <laughs> you introduced me to potato bread, oh Irishman. Uh -huh. And that's why I married you. Yeah. Um, I read these books the first time when I was nine or ten with with a great amount uh, of buildup from my dad, who adores these books to this day. And with him kind of building them up so much to me when I read them, it, and the fact that this first book took until chapter 16 to actually get going. Um, <laughs> I have talking points on this. <laughs> was a slog for me. I didn't feel super like encompassed by these books, but I also didn't read a lot of books with young preteen female main characters. So mm -hmm. growing up, this idea of Lucy being like the introductory character right. meant a lot to me. But like this idea of like, encountering and i honestly remember as a child the the moment in which they meet father christmas and he gives his gifts where he gives peter a sword and a shield and the two girls not a sword and a shield right. like bothered me as a kid where i was like no i want a sword and a shield you want i don't want a badge. horn I don't want a knife. I want a sword and a shield. I don't want some amulet to heal people later. Edmund can bottle. die. I want a sword <laughs> and a shield. Like, 
this is this, this is, is 100 percent my opposite <laughs> and, and i'm like give me that healing thing that's useful who wants to kill that's yes. bad yes like uh so you said you have a talking point for uh the book not really going until chapter 16 yeah i i guess i like um just diving in and feeling and experiencing the world um here i i'm gonna summarize my point with my uh with my one sentence summary of chapter three (laughs) don't be foolish edmund scolded peter Fewer things can happen in a chapter where the reader needs to acclimate. (laughs) Okay. Um, I mean, it's a valid point, Chris. You're you're diving into this crazy world where crazy stuff is happening, and you're like trying to and you're trying to figure out where are we going. It's like uh, it's. I mean, it's not. I'm not going to compliment it by saying it's anywhere near anything Lewis Carroll ever like breathed. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know like it's it's okay for uh, for plot to just be discovery, and I feel like that's the bulk of the book. Uh, it is. You are preaching right now. To a man who adores world building. I, I love like, world building. Conceptually, world building is Chris's favorite kind of writing. <sighs> he wants world building above and beyond story, character, dialogue. If this book hey, did a good job at world you're, building, you're going too far. you need to read it because I need someone to discuss it with. You're going too far. So the, this is something I... I <laughs> I want to bring up, which is uh, a metric that I measure all media against, is Nathan. I don't know if you ever have watched the red letter media reviews of the Star Wars prequels, because we have to bring up Star Wars in every episode of this podcast. We do. Is this uh, so? I rem- if, if for some reason this is firing synapses that talks of where there's a thing that talks about why Qui Gon isn't a character. Uh, probably. You're probably thinking of the right thing. Okay. But yeah, um, so, like, the Red Letter Media reviews are probably the most in-depth reviews of the Star Wars movies ever done. Like, every every episode gets, like, a 90-minute video devoted to, like, completely picking apart the entire film. Also, Qui-Gon, Aslan, Jesus. (laughs) Same deal. And so in one of the first episodes of, like, episode one, The Phantom Menace, they bring up the idea of when you are introducing uh, the reader to or the viewer to a fantastical world, or you're going into sci-fi, you're going into fantasy where things aren't normal, you have to have uh, a character or something there kind of holding their hand and guiding them through it, and that is generally the, the job of the protagonist. Right. And that they're supposed to be there being like, all right, I'm the everyman. I'm guiding you through this fantastical world you found yourself in. And that being said, does the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe have a protagonist? And if so, who is it? <laughs> who are that, you asking this no, to? <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a general question. Like, who, well, who is okay, the protagonist? Okay, so you're... 
Right now you're saying uh, A equals one. And so given that <laughs> fact that we all believe and agree with. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I think this is a, this is I, a concept. I get that. that I get that there's like, a, you know, in your intro to writing your first novel class, they tell you that <laughs> you have to have a character that explains the world to uh, the, the audience, sur- the audience surrogate. Which, which I were. think is important in children's literature. Like, we're not talking about something that's meant for a mature audience. Okay, you keep saying that. But there's Mr. Tumnus. (laughs) I I mean, you keep arguing that this book is directed at an immature audience. And yet, I was told I had to read it because it was a 40-year-old's favorite book. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I mean... I mean, okay. Well, so I think my answer to Chris's thing is that I see that that's a valuable thing and maybe we can discount this book because it definitely doesn't have an audience surrogate except for, like, the four children, Lucy especially. But even then, they're not, you know... I I feel like this book tries too hard to have an audience surrogate for every type of person. Mm, that's a, probably a good point. Where it's like, hey... I'll let you know later if it is or not. <laughs> <laughs> here's Peter and Susan, the the older kids who are going to look at this logically and like get told off by the professor who knows more things, which we're going to talk a lot more about with Christina at some point. And the just the basis of like logic and then you also have you know this kind of character like Edmund who is this kind of like I'm gonna be contrary to everything that I encounter and then you have Lucy who's just like I'm gonna go with the flow so I feel like Lewis almost goes too far in order to have a surrogate for every kind of reader whether it's a parent or a child or a brat like because brats aren't children um and like i just feel like he's gone he's pushed a little too far i can hear that cool so how does that relate to the book needing to have an action happen every single chapter instead of just exploring the world yeah chris uh, so here's my deal. I am totally okay with world building. Kristen has brought that up. Like, I love world building. It's not the only thing I care about in a story. Like, the characters have to be good. Like, dialogue has to be decent. Like, I, I care about all the aspects of what makes a, a, a good narrative. However, when you are confining that narrative to something like uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is a 180-page book, like, this is a little bit more than a novella. Like, you have to pack a lot of stuff into that tiny amount of space. And so I feel like when you're doing that, and you have chapters that don't go anywhere and don't advance the plot and don't really have a lot of action going on, you're just wasting time. You, in a, in a 600-page book, you can have throwaway chapters. In a 175-page book, yes, you but can't. what chapters don't advance anything? I don't. I mean, I mean. I think they all do. I think they they do. To, <laughs> no, no, no. Please, 
agree. I think this book has chapters that just waste everybody's time. No. But no, I don't think any of them are a waste. But no, it's 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 the criticism I brought up in several of the chapters where we have plot going and then occasionally Lewis just dips into things that are complete like non sequiturs that don't go anywhere. But seagulls, Chris. Yeah. Do you remember? Like this is most apparent in like the magician's nephew when we have the whole B plot about what's happening with Uncle Andrew being caged by the animals. Which doesn't ever really turn into anything. But maybe there's trees growing yeah. in Narnia that are just gold. Uh-huh. So I think this clues into another one of my points, which or uh, my like main things, which I don't think I really captured in any particular chapter summary. Um, but is that I feel like Lewis wrote these especially okay so i feel it's a different case for this particular book but all the other books lewis wrote these metaphor first uh-huh. yeah and so he's got this like metaphor especially in the magician's nephew where he's got his theology and he's laid out his theology and then he's just shoving characters in oh yeah absolutely. And, and so that's why you have those like random scenes because and there's even like a few problems you had where it was like, well, this narrative, there's like an inconsistency here. And I'm like, well, that inconsistency also exists in Christian theology. So, <laughs> so in a way, he accurately portrayed the, the thing. <laughs> True. Yeah. Uh, I feel you there. Uh, and that's something that I've tried to, to bring up a few times. I'm, I'm not throwing Kristen under the bus here because she, she has the look that... She thinks I'm going to throw her under the bus. Um, I'm not throwing Kristen under the bus, but I brought this up and tried to, like, bring up the metaphor and the analogy and saying, oh, hey, Lewis is trying, this is what he's alluding to here. And Kristen has always been a proponent of the story and saying, well, no, what if it doesn't have to be this? What if it is just storyline? What if we just approached it as it's written down? We're not doing allegory or metaphor for anything else. It's just what it is on the paper. Yeah, I guess the art school in me uh, says if I see seagulls and they're spending too much time on seagulls, I'm like, okay, there's there's a reason they're doing this. Yeah. Yes, as I, I as I've said as I've said before, the curtains are never blue because I, there was an artist behind it crafting it. Sorry. Yes. No. Absolutely. There is, and I fully acknowledge the presence of the artist. I, however. Uh, I would even argue in my own creative efforts. I get, as the creator of the thing, Hmm. I get as much out of someone else's interpretation of my my material as I get about my own material from what I intended to put into it. Like, my intention absolutely is where I started as an artist in putting this out there. But in someone else, I have no control over someone else's interpretation of my work. And so when I look at Lewis's stuff, I'm like, yes, absolutely. He's writing a in a metaphor and an analogy that completely paralyzed the Christ Christian narrative and, and story from, from creation to Armageddon. But as he is writing what is he influenced by because he is 
someone who was a professor who studied these topics, these mythologies, these other narratives. What else was he being influenced in besides the church? And what is it that he is presenting as within his narrative? Like, what's he influenced by? Because I feel like it's just as valid to look at this story as an analogy of the other myths that he is influencing. And he's presenting, like, let's talk about, like, mysticism and magic and fawns and the gods of the rivers and things like that. Like, let's talk about how he just presents all of this as if it is something that is present in a world that is encountered by the same Jesus we encountered on Earth. Uh-huh. So, like, I feel like it's perfectly valid to challenge the Christocentric nature of Ooh. the of the spirituality that we're like, oh no, Aslan's Jesus. Uh-huh. Like, there's yeah. there's a lot I want to challenge on that, and so I push against it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think. Um... I mean, that's the magic of art is that like you as an artist put a meaning into it. But the I mean, those are the main things that I like I was given in in art classes is like you need to make sure everything you do has meaning and purpose. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time, even if the uh, even if the meaning and purpose is not visible, it has to be there. And then you have to let go of all those things. (laughs) Because when you put it out in the world, it is not yours anymore. Yeah. That said, I don't think that Lewis went to art school. (laughs) (laughs) I think he went to theology school. And that might be why he is hashtag a bad author. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay. Hot takes on the podcast. (laughs) Because, like, he's, you know, he he is only presenting the metaphor and he's grasping so tightly to it that he is not willing to build anything in, any structural elements in to explain why those things are there. Yeah. Because they're only there in the metaphor. Yeah. Um, in I mean, our... And I, I'd say I went out of my way to engage in your metaphor by being like, well, isn't this character Elijah? <laughs> and isn't this character representative of specific characters? Like, we, we totally missed Father Christmas, though, until Nathan pointed this yes, out. Yes, <laughs> as John the Baptist. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely, we missed that. But that was also before I was willing to engage in this nonsense. <laughs> yeah. So in our, in our first... Uh, three-person podcast here where we we interviewed steve we talked about how we did we no we didn't interview steve where we talked with steve and he joined us we talked about uh you're just doing life together man we're just doing life together we talked about tolkien a little bit and how tolkien uh famously did not like lewis's writing and i've read more uh into this since then and I, I've learned it was that. on his gravestone, right? It's like <laughs> here lies Tolkien. Screw Lewis. Up yours, Lewis. <laughs> and, what did, and I, what did they call? His... What did she call Lewis in the movie? And like, I'm assuming in real life, like, what was his nickname? Jack. Jack. Yeah. Up yours, Jack. <laughs> no. Uh, and I've read a little bit more about their relationship since then, and more about more of Tolkien's writing. 
despite how you can look into Tolkien's writing and read all these same allegories and metaphors there and read into Lord of the Rings and be like, oh, this is the Jesus metaphor and it's there, uh, Tolkien famously hated allegory and uh, refused to let any interpretation of his work go that, you know, tried to compare it to uh, the Christian narrative or something else because he did not like allegory or metaphor at all uh, as regards to, like, mythology and would actively shoot that down. And so, yet he somehow made it into that Christian library that, I grew up with. Somehow. And so I feel like that was probably a large... Not mine. <laughs> probably a large uh, amount of the reason that Tolkien didn't like Lewis's writing because it was just too heavy-handed and too allegorical for what it was, and he didn't try to tell his own story. I think that opinion would have been kind of hypocritical because I feel like Tolkien didn't really stray very far from a Christian mythology in his own writing, but that's another podcast. So Well, it's like the it's like in those two things of like make sure everything has meaning, let go of all that meaning. Uh-huh. Uh it's like Lewis was did the first thing and yeah. Tolkien didn't do the second thing. <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah, didn't do oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you you had something you were going to change the subject with, Nathan. Go go on. Oh, um, so in that, uh, <laughs> this is so roundabout. So when I was a kid, and our uh, first probably a preteen, I in that same vein, like I remember people were like, "Oh, you have to check out the band Petra. Uh, <laughs> they're like a hard, they're like a hard rock band, and all of their lyrics are straight out of the Bible." Oh, yes. And I was like, well, that makes them terrible. (laughs) I mean, like, from a lyrical standpoint. Right. Yes, it does. Yeah, that's not, that's not, like, uh, you know, admirable. That's, like, bad writing. (laughs) Um, And in that same way, okay, so uh, you guys might, you you whippersnappers. You might not have had this in your evangelical library, Kristen, and uh, your stump, Chris. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, the old, down in the old hole that, uh... Wait, do they have trees in Florida? <laughs> Can you have... Have you seen a stump before? You know what? Uh... It was underwater, but yeah, okay, he definitely yeah. did. There was like 17 lake snails on it and an alligator. <laughs> 17 like snails yeah yep that was uh that's what they called breakfast that back to, when i was yeah. there. <laughs> good job you beat me to it <laughs> uh also in that library was a um how to find christian music for you chart it was a poster yeah yeah so it had like the secular band on one side and it had the Christian band on the other side. And so it was like the list down of like, hey, if you like, um, I should have come up with examples when I was trying. When if was you like this. Eminem, you'll like KJ52. <laughs> that was before Nathan's time. Yeah, that was definitely before my time. But yeah, that's a, good, that's a good one. I was really trying to hit like a key like 80s band. that would be, Like it would be like, oh, if you like Journey, you should check out Petra. <laughs> <laughs> And it was all of those, like, hair metal bands, and then it was just Petra on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) So 
you listened to a lot of Petra growing up. Yeah. <laughs> if you, uh, now, if, as a person who didn't if, grow in this environment, if you like, if you like NWA, you should check out DC Talk. <laughs> as a person who didn't grow up in this environment, where does Carmen fit into this? Carman. Yeah. Carman. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he I was I think on he was there, probably yeah. paralleled to like Queen because of the theatrical nature of like yeah. his his storyline songs. What about Striper? Uh, yeah, Striper was Striper was like, you know, Rat and bands like that. <laughs> they would have those like more aggressive like metal bands. It was like all the soft metal bands were just Petra, and all the like hard but still like poppy metal bands were Striper. Gotcha. Anyway, da- so <laughs> then down the list, suddenly it uh, it said U two, U two. So I thought that was Whoa. funny. If you're if you're into U two, wait till you check these guys out. <laughs> there. If you're looking for new music. You should check out that band you're still listening to. Uh-huh. But not these three albums. Yeah. They, they stray from the path in those ones. Yes. Oh, there was a lot of, like, talk about, like, when Bono and that... Uh, Bono is the singer of You Two Children. Um, Whoa. Oh, hang on. <laughs> hang on. In, in Rattle and Hum, there's a part where uh, Bono, like, grabs the camera and, like, humps the camera Whoa, that's it. and that was like a like that got talked about that people were like i don't think we can listen to them anymore <laughs> we we lost it so i feel like if they had that poster for books <laughs> we got there okay it would be like you know all literature <laughs> and then c.s lewis on the other side <laughs> I think that C.S. Lewis gets a pass for being the Petra of books. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh-huh. That's a, that I think is, that's the core statement of this episode. That's just is that your official rating? <laughs> um, can I lock that in? <laughs> <laughs> All right. C.S. Lewis is the Petra of books. I think there. that, like, without, you know, without that, like, strict metaphor, C.S. Lewis doesn't become the influence and, like, you know, per- I don't think those Disney movies get made. Yeah. So what you're saying is that you are invalidating all of my efforts to not be a Christian podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thought- no, I'm saying uh, C.S. Lewis invalidated why them. why I am wrong. <laughs> I thought that's why we weren't allowed to curse. <laughs> but uh, but I do think that the, it's not just the like metaphor that gets him there. Like he his like life story of like oh I'm this like post atheist apologist and I'm writing all these books like convincing you about why I like gave up atheism for Christianity. That's like evangelical like they're just like licking that up they're like yes 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 this is it we love this guy and so they ignore all his like non-evangelical theology (laughs) of which there's a ton yeah Mm. which i mean like i feel like even in our discussion of how 
the Norse mythology is edited out of the books in the current editions, like even just that statement alone shows so much of that tendency to just be like, no, we only value him because of his theology and his interpretation and his value in this way. Yeah, and we're going to edit out the parts of his theology that that don't align with, you know, a neo-fundamentalist viewpoint that came about long after he was dead. Uh, uh, So that that brings us into an interesting thing I want to touch on. As familiar as we are with, like, the theology of Lewis, uh, and like Nathan said, he does go a lot of really uh, interesting directions that I think definitely for his time are progressive and... Uh, he throws out a lot of views that were I you could you could consider radical for the time he published them in. Does any of that come through in uh, the Narnia series? The do does do we see any touches of his more like? I would restrain that further back to say just in the books that we've read yeah. because I don't want I don't yeah. want to spoil anything for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, but. Mm-hmm. Like we we've talked a little bit about like the the obvious allegory of you know Aslan's Jesus right, uh, and the like, wait, <laughs> what? And and the theology in uh, the Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, but, but do we see any of the more like, I guess for lack of a better term, more out there ideas that Lewis had presented in the, in the book? I, I think you if you revisit the death and resurrection scene and remove the idea of um, of penal substitutionary atonement from your mindset, which Lewis didn't believe in, uh-huh. you will have a different reading of that. Because you got, even in your coverage of it, you guys were really laying on this, like, oh, he's taking on this and sacrificing himself, and that's how the atonement works. But that's not how it's presented in the text. And I think even in your episodes about those things, you were um, going, oh, this doesn't make sense, or this is weird. But I think it is there. um, Just it's not what we've been taught is it's supposed to look like because he's not presenting that. Um, Like like the willing bond servant whole thing. Or that maybe that's my rewrite. <laughs> I mean, I've also been avoiding talking about theology for this whole right. thing. So go ahead, Chris. Please rebut this point. No, I don't have a rebuttal. I, I think it's it's something that, you know to revisit in our chronically Narnia part two, where we go back. To- <laughs> <laughs> no. And we spent another three years going through the series again. No. Um. <laughs> no. You can do that with Nathan. You two can do that. You can have fun yeah. with that. You know what? I have a standing offer from Steve. So if me and Steve and Nathan want to get together for like a... Uh, Steve, you want to be the commissioner what, on that one? What White men on Narnia. Oh, man. <laughs> what was this like club that hang out, hung out at the pub? What was that called? I don't know what it was called. I forgot. I, I, I am aware of what this is, but... The Inklings. The Inklings. There the we go. The Inklings. Okay. Okay, so, so yeah, we'll be absolutely. the new Inklings. The you new Inklings. The new, there you go. N-U with, an, with the rock <laughs> dots on. Yeah. yeah the, uh, the three of you can do that. Uh, so, Krista, any, anything further you wanted to bring up here? 
I mean, like, the the only actual note cards that I wrote were... One was Tumnus, which I'm not allowed to see the back of, still. You have picked it up three times, <laughs> and I have removed it from your hand. Because that you is... have secret notes that I want to be privy to. So distracting. Do you want to know what it says on yeah, the back? Yeah. Tumnus. What if he's Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, those are my note cards, Chris. Okay. And what else do you have besides Tumnus? I see more over there. I wrote that. That's what I wrote. She just wrote it again and again on multiple cards. Nope. This one is, in fact, blank. <laughs> just so that I could make a show of having more than one note card <laughs> to Nathan. So let's talk about um, the wartime framing of this book okay. and what that means. Um. So I've I've obviously thought a lot about this since we've been doing this for a year at this point. Um, and I think in the last chapter that we did, The Hunting of the White Stag, I talked a little bit about how it's presented in very much a way that, uh, presented very much in a way that it's not supposed to be a, this is all a dream thing or this is like a, an imagining of traumatized children. And the conversation with Professor Kirk at the end highlights this as being like, oh yeah, this story really happened. This is, this are, these are actual events. This is factual. Which kind of takes away from this deeper metaphor that I want to read into the book of being like, these are children traumatized by their country falling apart in a time of war. Like, they are going into this metaphor in their minds where they are in a position to end war. They're in a position to end conflict. And this is how they cope with it. And that's, you know, my, my adult reading of the book, though it's presented in the way in the end where that's very much not how you're supposed to read it. See, but you even have said in the podcast that you hate that idea. I do because the, because, <laughs> because the this is all a dream ending is such a cop out and it's dumb and I hate it whenever it's presented. However, in this setting, it would make narrative sense. And I think that, I mean, I became more convinced of that listening to your last episode because I feel like they leave, they live these like long lives as kings and queens that are like sexless and like there's nothing of adultness here. This is an adult life perceived by children. Especially, and I'm I'm more convinced that it's actually just Lucy. Lucy's the only one that's like putting this all together. And so there's just this like, oh, I live, and then I lived this whole life, and then she realized that that life was shallow, and that it wasn't, then that she actually does need to like process this stuff and live through her traumas and what she's going through. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're. Uh, locked up in a house with just the like few people you love for like months on end and you can't leave or get out how many people do you know that can relate to that though nathan i don't know <laughs> this, this is crazy talk <laughs> and so like i think that it's i think there's a lot to go for in that and i think that uh you can write away right off the professor's response by Diggory's response by just saying, Hey, you know, he heard this childlike fantasy and was like, 
I see you're working through a lot of things right now. <laughs> Which but I mean, he I does, too had a yeah. I too had a childhood trauma where I w- retreated into a fantasy world and needed to work out some things. But then he completely undermines that, as we talked about in the last chapter, with him being like, "No, don't talk about this with anyone. Don't talk about it amongst yourselves." Like, zip. See, Keep but that's absolutely British at that <laughs> yeah. time. That is very much culturally British. I mean, this is a very typical British response to be like, yeah, life's hard and we don't talk about it because we maintain a social face. And so like, yes, you've been through this trauma. Yes, you're going to be able to recognize other people who have been through this trauma. No, you're not going to talk about it amongst yourselves or with the other people. You're just going to know that they've also experienced this. Right. Uh-huh. It's like that. I, I thought of that scene in Guardians of the, of the Galaxy <laughs> when Rocket's like, yeah, you lost somebody. <laughs> we all have. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, no, I, I mean, I think that's a definite... We're smarter now. <laughs> That's definitely a valid interpretation. I I don't think it's uh, it stands up as like the main interpretation when you weigh it against all the other books in the series. Because if you take the series as a whole, obviously Narnia is a real thing that exists. Uh, but you mean in the additional books that he wrote after he uh, made a lot of money on this one and got all <laughs> excited about? Yeah, uh, leaning into his idea. Yeah. And so obviously there's only so far you can take the whole it's an allegory direction, but. And I actually don't know if that plays out because like I was noticing these books are like written in a five year span. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. They are. This is 1950 to 1956. Like it's it is at best six years. And he he didn't. It. Even if it was like, hey, I made a lot of money, like, he's still just, like, slamming through these books. Like He's slamming. The, like, even nowadays, for a, for a book that, that long the, to the, get published in a series this long would be over over at yeah. least seven years. In, you know, that's what the S stands for in C.S. Lewis, is slamming. Clive Slamming. Lewis. <laughs> also known as Jack. <laughs> Uh, so uh yeah i i think before- oh i also uh i also wanted to point out that uh y- y- uh the child anarchy depicted in the last cha- chapter is just child fantasy like that's just what <laughs> kids want and so like the idea that they're like fulfilling all this th- stuff of like oh and then there's no more school <laughs> and 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 all the mean people have to go away but the nice ones are okay yeah no, and I, I, I totally get that. And then we that. need a new quest once our stories run out of enemies. Yeah. We've and run out of the enemy of school and yeah. w- weird witches. <laughs> no, and... I totally agree with that. And, like, there's a lot of stuff in The Hunting in the White Stag which points toward this direction. And, like, it, y- everything in the chapter, like, the, the way they start talking, like, oh, they were adults by then, and so they talk in this very flowery, like, elegant yes. language because that's how all kids think adults talk. Yes. is like there's a lot that points to this because kids think that they talk that way yeah and you could you could maybe see that lewis almost wanted to go this direction but then at the end was just like 
no, I want to write more books and I'm not going to just end it here with saying this is all a dream. And he, he, he kind of edged up to the line and then backed away saying, I got more to, I got more here. And that might be like, just to like more like big picture of the book. I mean, so he sees this picture of a fawn. He goes, what's up with this fawn? He starts writing this story. We're writing about where here we got these kids. They show up, they see the fawn, blah, 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 blah. And now all of a sudden I'm, I've got this like Christianity metaphor, this Jesus metaphor, and I'm just running with that. And so now he's 100% focused on that Jesus metaphor for chapter after chapter. He finishes that and he's like, oh, crap, how did I start this book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so unless anybody has like another topic they want to jump into, I think we should move on to uh, to kind of our wrap up about you know, because we have to save like half an hour of air time for our Star Wars discussion that we're going to get into. <laughs> yes. So, so um, this this episode will only be two and a half hours. Long. Yes, <laughs> only two and a half. So, um, why don't we? Can get we in- talk about uh, theme park uh, <laughs> theme park shopping centers too? Absolutely. Uh, okay. But before we do that, why don't we get into our wrap up here? Um, and what I want to do is just to go around and everybody give final thoughts and maybe do a little rating is the way we end all of our chapters where we rate this on a on a one to five star system and uh nathan since you're the guest what do you think we should rate this on um geez let me think (laughs) while you're thinking i'll go ahead and read another sentence summary i have since received in text message form okay four children Go through a magical wardrobe into a winter wonderland world of Narnia. An evil witch had the whole country under enchantment where it was always winter, but never Christmas. A lion named Aslan came and broke the curse of winter and died for a traitor. He came back to life and joined a battle against the evil queen and killed her. The four children were set up as rulers of Narnia where they ruled justly until they returned, not by their own choice, to their own world. That is the... What's, re- that, what's that, Steve? Rewriting by Andrea. Andrea, okay. Um, nice. Okay, so we're going to rate this out of... Is this at a... Pair, at, what is it called? Care, Care Paravel. Paravel. Is this a yeah. four-star rating system? Fro- no, it's not, because there's a fifth throne Ooh. for Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was hoping it would be for Aslan. Okay. So there's a fifth one for Elijah. Oh, that tickled me. Um, all right. Uh, so since this is my segment that I always drive forward, I guess I'll go first here. Um, this book's okay. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's start there. Um, I've I've done this for 17 chapters now. I've talked about you know how mediocre. I think the book is when you take it as just a narrative story and I I've talked about various other examples of children's literature that I think are better and I think you can definitely do a children's book uh, that is you know a better story than this overall though there's nothing really wrong with it and that's that's the frustrating part is that okay no 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 I'm taking <laughs> Taking it within the context and the time that it's written in, 
there's nothing really wrong with it. Like it, it is a very generic story, and I and I am kind of stuck in my own time frame and my own frame of reference here because I feel like if I transported myself back to being a 13 year old in 1950s England, I might feel very differently about this story. Regardless, okay, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm going to interrupt you there and say like yes, she disagrees with your uh, rating. Four, <laughs> yes, your opinion, sir. Uh huh. Should just hold on a second uh-huh. and hear all the facts. No, regardless of of whether or not you, as a thirteen year old in nineteen fifty five, yeah. would respond to it one way, it is still held in this high regard today by many people. Because there's no competition. Is that for it. unwarranted? Uh, yes, I believe it's unwarranted. I, I believe it is uh, because there is no competition. There has n- There is not another series of Christian-friendly children's books that has come out that has the same kind of appeal and the same kind of, uh, I don't know, touchstone on things like magic and fantasy worlds and talking animals and all this kind of stuff. And it occupies a niche that has yet been kind of unusurped. Why you gotta talk? What about Captain Underpants? <laughs> <laughs> uh, f- f- the finest Christian literature, right there. Um, yeah, it, it occupies a niche that we have don't have uh, a challenger for, and that's why it's there. Like, if somebody comes out and writes another seven book series of christian allegorical children's novels you mean like go ahead harry potter (laughs) (laughs) you know the goblet of fire is jesus right and that's why it's still here and it's really hard to come up with something else that occupies a niche in quite this way and where we're talking about like a book or a series of books that is considered very good and something that is you know, worthy of being taught and worthy of being passed on. And, you know, like you said, your dad is being like, no, you got to read this book. We don't have an example of something like that that's, you know, that's not the the Chronicles of Narnia that I can think of, where it's like, here's this book that's taken out of time, but because nothing has been written that's better than this, we're going to say this is the one. And, you know, before, before all you snarky kids come in and say, oh, the Bible... Uh, let's, let's not go there. Um, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to when you segue this podcast into creating the perfect Christian metaphor book series. I, you know what? I've joked several times about rewriting I don't even want to finish this metaphor book series. <laughs> um, and so that, that all being said, uh, I think it's, it's okay for what it is, is the best way I can describe it. And I'm not going to say it's good. After we finish this podcast, I will never, ever, ever, ever read these books again in my life. I promise you that. Uh, and I might have grandchildren someday. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, overall, this book, middle of the road. I'm going to say three out of five thrones at Care Paravel. There we go. Nathan, our guest, your thoughts? <clears throat> Guys, I know a story. (laughs) It's about 
you know, it has these themes that have uh, echoed through generations. People love this story, but the things that they really point to um, kind of are just fleeting moments when you actually take in the story. Maybe you don't even happen in the main story, the first one. The, the first whole part of the story goes really slow. It never gets there. You've got main characters that don't show up until like almost the last part of it. But enough about A New Hope. <laughs> two, two Thrones. Oh, okay. Two Thrones. Wow, okay. Two Thrones. Kristen, for the, for the review episode, you, you gotta give us a... I gotta give you, you a rating? You gotta I gotta give, gotta rating. give you a rating. Yeah. All right. No. Okay. <laughs> um, within oh. this. Oh, I thought that was your rating. <laughs> it was, but okay. I'll, I'll go ahead and and rate this book. Th- there is a lot in this book that upset me from an, an allegorical standpoint. The idea that this is what was presented to me as like a covert Christ metaphor and just being like hey we're gonna tell you about all of this yeah like super secret we're not gonna explain that it's Jesus Jesus metaphor so that when you encounter the Jesus story it's gonna mean something more to you because you've already like fallen in love with a character that this is going to represent later Mm. then also like taking what this may or may not have been teaching me about how to handle trauma as a child and what was a good idea 30 years removed from its writing and an ocean removed from its culture like hey we're gonna explain to you child in america that you shouldn't talk about your feelings and your trauma and what it is that you're overcoming. Like, the idea that this was presented to me in the way that it was, what it explained to me about, you know, Jesus, what it explained to me about trauma, what it explained to me about my role as a woman in God's world to be a healer and a caller for aid and a, like a, and not a physical hold the sword and shield warrior and protector. I, I, I feel like there is so much that I can say this, this work has personally offended me. No, this work has personally created points where I'm like, this is something that I was taught. Was I taught it by like something that actually had authority or was I taught it by a children's story? I, I I mean, like, I don't know. I got to give it, like, one leg on the table of the stone table. <laughs> and that thing's broken. So. Oof. So a useless leg on a table. And even if it had four legs, it would still be broken. <laughs> wow. All right. It does not enter into the golden... Uh... The, the golden, golden page club <laughs> uh so before we officially close out uh 
do you have anything that you want to plug? Yeah, check me out at instriker.com and you can see my art and my music. I have almost 200 songs that you can listen to right now. Nice. Nice. That's at least like 15 albums. Okay. I thought you were going to say, based on my, my the length of my song, I thought you were going to say 15 minutes of songs. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wouldn't be that guy. It's a, that's a whole discography just waiting for you guys out there. Uh, so, yeah, that being said, Kristen, if you want to take us out here. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Nathan. It's been a pleasure to interact with you. And not just, like, because you're our friend and we want to see someone... Well, we're in safer at home <laughs> isolation. Thank you, you so much. That. Thank you so much, Nathan, <laughs> for joining us. And um, we no, I don't want to do this. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. So um, can I can I go back and say that it's actually 151 songs? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I just checked. <laughs> it's uh, one 151. It's a good number. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, in the meantime, if you want to share your thoughts with us about this episode or others, go ahead and get at us at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can tweet at us at Chronically Pod on Twitter, and you can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com with your fan art of. Oof, what are we, what are we doing fan art of for the wrap up? Uh, I was going to say Tumnus playing 151 songs on his flute, but I mean, you could come up with it's, something. You could do a flip book. That could be a flip book or kill Tumnus on his flute. That would be you don't great. want to know what I'd draw Tumnus doing in a flip book. <laughs> yeah, and until next time, Kristen. Do not lock yourselves in any wardrobes. And don't forget to wipe your sword. Uh, thanks. Cheers. Cool. Bye. Bye. I don't know if it's even good for the uh, for the thing. <laughs> You're muted now. Am I muted? Can you hear me? Oh, I didn't. Wait, do you, were you just miming laughter? Yes, he was. No. I'm... Wow. <laughs> I wow. Was, I, I was like, oh, I, oh, you cut out, you cut out, because you're like. Do I get to answer your question? <laughs> well, okay, yeah. This Thanks. is a specific conversation for you and me. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. Why don't Sorry. you calm down over there? I was trying to let our guest talk. I forgot I asked you. <laughs> You're like, this is a conversation for the two of you. I'm going to sit over here and let him tell something, but not you. I need somebody to mansplain things to my wife for me. <laughs> I've, I've, I've tried and it doesn't work. Of course, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. <laughs> Struggling. We all knew it. There. That one. I kept, I kept being like, Prince can nope. Prince can nope. <laughs> Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I mean, I really did. So I did like try to make. I, I came with the, I came up with the idea of, you know, this is. Please cut this out because nobody wants to hear the joke explained. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Restart that. Tell the tell the joke and you can, tell the you joke can, and cut it out. You can edit out. Go on. No, it was gonna be something like this is something I have to woman explain to Chris all the time. <laughs> um, uh, would you like me to woman explain? Yeah. It for uh, you? Thank you. <laughs>
Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Mrs. Lisa. <laughs> hey, at home. How's it going? Am I... <laughs> This am I is, doing better than Steve yet? Steve, am I better than you yet? <laughs> you don't like the cobbler? <laughs> As a fan, I need to know your thoughts on hashtag Narnia cobbler. Because <laughs> I workshopped that for like two weeks before I brought it to the pod. Have you tried a parfait? Everybody loves parfaits. <laughs> 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 